from Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Australia's rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine has been stymied by a combination of different factors, including supply, distribution and vaccine hesitancy amongst the public. A recent survey found that nearly one in three Australians aren't willing to get vaccinated because they're unsure about the risks or don't think it's necessary. Today, health columnist for the Saturday paper, Dr Melanie Cheng, on where Australia went wrong with its vaccine rollout and what the federal government needs to do to avoid a third wave. So, Melanie, you're a doctor, a GP, and you're currently giving vaccines to your patients, is that right? That's correct, yep. What sorts of things are they saying to you about the the process of getting vaccinated? What are you hearing? Well, um, I think this week I've probably had more conversations about the vaccine than ever before, actually. And what I'm noticing is a real confusion and uncertainty amongst a lot of them, actually. They're confused about their eligibility. Uh, They're confused about um, where they would go to get the vaccine um, if they are indeed eligible. Another interesting thing that emerged, I think, um, amongst talking to some family members actually, is that there's this feeling that, well, I don't have much to gain from getting the vaccine right now. If, If I was to travel, then of course I would go out straight away and get the vaccine. But there's no chance of that anytime soon. So I can afford to watch and wait and I can afford to see if any new side effects emerge. And so there's this, I guess there's this real lack of urgency. And so where do you think this lack of urgency is coming from? Is this to do with what we're hearing from the federal government? What are they saying? Well, I think... um, one thing that concerns me particularly is the kind of no rush, watch and wait approach. Australians see in a global pandemic, A, they're safe. B, by comparison... You know, I've seen a few times now that when the representatives of the government are pushed on some deficiencies in the rollout, they will often go back to pointing out how lucky we are in Australia, how we don't have any coronavirus and how we can um, take this um, watch and wait type approach. When we look at that world and we see a country that is safe and a country which has more people in employment than prior to the pandemic, we recognise that what we're doing in Australia is working and working in a way that virtually no other country in the world has matched. We had um, some messaging from Greg Hunt um, about the AstraZeneca vaccine um, and whilst he encouraged people to get vaccinated, he also pointed out that um, we would be getting a lot more of the mRNA vaccines towards the end of the year um, and that there would be enough for the whole population, which again just um, reduced the real urgency, I think. Uh, That's really come to a head this week for me, especially in light of some of the things that we're seeing overseas. I guess for me, having followed the pandemic quite closely this past year and particularly the success of Taiwan, I was really quite 
shock to see um, them having this quite severe and unprecedented outbreak in spite of, you know, up until now they're having a real gold standard kind of record on being able to contain the virus with really minimum restrictions in that country. Can you tell me more about what's happening in Taiwan? Because as you say, they were really seen as one of the success stories globally um, in the beginning of the pandemic. What went wrong? Yeah, so um, Taiwan has a, a similar population size to Australia. They have 24 million people there. And like us, they are an island. And up until this year, they had this um, amazing track record for keeping COVID under wraps. As COVID-19 cases climb around the world once again, we take a closer look at the government that has most successfully tackled the pandemic in Asia, Taiwan. Just seven- they had less than 1,000 cases. They had zero leaks from quarantine and they'd only had 12 deaths, which is really quite an amazing record. And I think a lot of that came down to their preparedness last year. Some people have pointed out its island geography as one explanation. But take one look at the UK and that should dispel any myth about an island advantage. In fact, So um, they were doing very well. And then on Friday, the 14th of May, the health authorities there announced that they'd detected 29 new cases in the community. Taiwan's latest COVID outbreak is raising questions over how the virus managed to spread amid its gold standard approach. Taiwan is stepping up its pandemic measures after a huge surge in COVID-19 cases. By Monday, they were having several hundreds of new daily infections. Now the number of cases is rising sharply, reporting 335 local transmissions yesterday. So the the virus had seeded in the community without them knowing about it. They are being criticised for their slow rollout of the vaccine and that very much seems to be linked to the fact that they maybe were a bit complacent because they just didn't have the virus circulating the numbers that we saw in, say, North America and Europe. Uh, And I guess the combination of... Seeing that and um, seeing my patients being reassured that we don't have COVID in Australia um, made me realise just how vulnerable we are here in Australia. And how worried do you think we should be about a situation like this unfolding in Australia? To what extent are we at risk of ending up in a similar situation that Taiwan is now experiencing? Well, I think there are lots of, you know, parallels between these two countries. I think in particular with the the complacency, um, because we have been relatively sheltered from the devastation of coronavirus, so it's not front of mind for us. We do know that, you know, in Australia, uh, the compliance with things like QR codes has really gone down. I've seen it myself when I've been out in, in public spaces. And, you know, in recent times as well, I've had to plead with some patients to um, actually have COVID tests. Um, They look me straight in the eye and say, I don't have COVID, um, even though they've got symptoms consistent with COVID. And they're just reassured simply that we don't have community transmission. Um, And that's a really dangerous place to be because, you know, only earlier this month, we had this mystery case in New South Wales. And if that man had not gone and got tested and assumed that he didn't have COVID, that could have been a, a, a you know super spreader or seeding event. We are forgetting a little bit. We are in a bit of a, a bubble um, at the moment. And so 
it, it's great because we can live a, a semi-normal life again, but it's not necessarily sustainable. We've had, unlike you know Taiwan's good record of leaks from quarantine, we've had 16 leaks from hotel quarantine just since November. And we've been lucky. They haven't led to any significant spreading events. But, you know, if we do have a population that continues to think that we're not at risk, they don't get tested, and we're not immunised, then, you know, there's no reason to think that we couldn't be Taiwan because we are open, very open. We have um, very low rates of vaccination in a similar way to Taiwan. They've, I believe, less than 1% of their population is actually currently vaccinated. Um, and so I saw these real parallels and it made me really worried, especially as we know that we're coming into winter and winter is a, a particularly bad time for transmission of coronavirus. We'll be back in a moment. As a a. 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, the Saturday Paper, and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Melanie, we've been talking about your concerns about vaccine complacency at a time when another outbreak of COVID-19 here in Australia is entirely possible. What is actually happening, though, with the vaccine rollout at the moment? Because it seems like there are still some problems with access. Yeah, so I think um, early on in the rollout, there were these issues with supply. Australians' hopes of a coronavirus vaccine early next year are being doused with the breakthrough Pfizer jab only being secured for one in five Australians and not available until 2021. Fortunately, in in the past, you know, few months, the, those supply issues are less of an issue, uh, and that relates to our ability to locally manufacture AstraZeneca, and also I believe the Pfizer supplies are, are more reliable and steady. More recently, so now we do have supply, but we're not having great uptake. And I think the main weakness in the system at the moment is really in being able to match the patient to a vaccine provider. What do you mean by that? So I think um, there are people who are interested in getting the vaccine, but um, through anecdotal reports, um, they've had difficulty finding out where to get it. They've contacted multiple GP practices who happen to not be participating GP practices or do have long waiting times, or people have gone to 
vaccination hubs thinking that, that they would be able to get Pfizer vaccine because they're under 50, but that those vaccination hubs are actually only giving out AstraZeneca. So there's been a lot of confusion and that's leading to some frustration. And then when those stories get you know, circulated in the community, then that can sometimes put people off, I think. And it seems like one of the things that might be leading to or adding to this confusion is a lack of understanding about who is actually eligible to get vaccinated. So can you just run me through it? Who can actually get the vaccine right now? It's people who are 50 years and older. So if you're in that age group, you are now currently eligible for the vaccine. Uh, if you have a um, underlying chronic health condition or a disability, then you may be eligible and there is a list of um, those uh, specific conditions on the health.gov.au website. Then everything else kind of comes into the occupational eligibility. So we've got uh, quarantine um, and border workers, their household contacts, healthcare workers, uh, disability uh, staff and residents, um, aged care staff and residents, and some um, high-risk and critical workforce people, so defence force, police, fire, uh, meat processing workers. Okay, so, Melanie, we know who is eligible, but there is still vast amounts of confusion in the community about the process and the potential risks. There's complacency and statements from the government don't seem to be helping. In fact, they could actually be confusing people more. So what should the government be doing differently? Because it sounds like this is pretty urgent. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think it's not too late for us to start from now, um, but I, I do fear that there is this vacuum that at the moment is being dominated by anti-vaccination propaganda and, you know, real sensationalist news stories about the very low-risk side effects of the vaccines. And there's really little information that I'm seeing um, about what is the benefit to someone of, of getting the vaccine. And there are a lot of really great benefits from the vaccines. So, for instance, you know, um, protecting those most vulnerable in our communities, being able to travel again, being reunited with our family from overseas who we haven't seen for over a year now, being able to hug our loved ones again. I think, um, you know, we're not being reminded of that. And if we're not, then we will tend to focus on these very rare um, side effects. Um, and unfortunately, at the moment anyway, that the narrative is being dominated by that. I think what really needs to occur is um, for the health departments to be reaching these patients through their TV screens, through their radio, through um, their Facebook page, through their Twitter feed. And we're just not seeing that happen at the moment. I think a perspective on risk, a reminder about how dangerous COVID can be and uh, an emphasis on what we have to gain from the vaccine would all be really important parts of an effective public health education campaign. Melanie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ruby. My pleasure. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism 
and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today, the Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, has announced the government has secured enough Pfizer vaccine doses to cover every Australian who wants to be vaccinated by the end of the year. The government is promising a supply of 2 million Pfizer doses each week from the start of October. And tens of thousands of Palestinians in Gaza, displaced by the past week and a half of Israeli airstrikes, have begun returning to their homes as a ceasefire between Hamas and Israel takes effect. The ceasefire has been hailed by world leaders. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.